Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm your host, Damon Martin. I am joined by UFC legend and knockout king himself, Matt Brown. Matt's what's going on. And life is going on, bro. Getting back in the gym, training hard. Uh, well, pretty much staying in the gym, but picking it up a little bit. Um, you know, school's about to be in session, so we're going to start picking up the intensity and start working towards getting into camp, man. Nice, nice. Yeah, what, so hold on, school starts soon? Yeah, like uh, less than a month. Crap, dude! I do you remember like when we went to school, dude? Like school didn't start. Do I? Am I remembering incorrectly? Do I remember school not starting to like September when we were in school? Am I remembering that incorrectly? Why do I feel like we didn't go back to school quite as early? Yeah, I feel like it was like mid August for us, but yeah, yeah. I, uh, or no, yeah, yeah, my, it was like late August. Yeah, it was like late August, early September, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So they're they're going back August seventeenth. So it seems like a. Uh, like it's a, a big difference, but not really. Like, yeah, I guess not. Like, I remember my brother's birthday is August 27th, and I remember we used to always uh, go to school right around his birthday, go back to school. So, you know, that's only a week or two earlier. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I just had like, I always remember summer break, like when it was coming to the end, the depression of like, oh man, we got to go back to school in two weeks or three weeks. Like it was the worst. (laughs) There was, there were a few feelings worse in the world than that feeling of knowing you had to go back to school again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's so true, man. But, um, you know, I think it's actually because of the uh, the the snow days. They kind of get ready for the snow days now. Like our, our teachers, uh, when we were kids, were or, or whoever was running the school were just like, oh, whatever the fuck, you know. <laughs> I think now they're, they're like actually plan ahead and think about things a little bit. And like, well, we're probably going to have school, are probably going to have snow days, being that we've had snow days for the past, like, hundred years so <laughs> plan for that yeah do you remember was there ever a better feeling in the morning waking up looking outside and seeing that snow and turn on that radio and being like here wait for the cancellations was that you too that was me as a kid oh, you'd lay God. you'd lay in bed and you'd wait you'd wait to see if they'd be like you know such and such school canceled you'd be like yes yeah like the kids got google and stuff now so they find out in 10 seconds but yeah, we'd have to watch all the schools scroll across the screen and just pray that ours is one of them. And then, you know, half the time is not even yours. And you're just like, ah, every school around is closed. Why not mine? Well, you always, I always remember they used to do delays. Do you remember that? They do like they're on a one hour delay. They're on a two hour delay. And like they keep escalating it. And you'd be like, come on, cancel school, cancel schools. They'd be like, you're on a two hour delay. You're come on, just cancel it. And then like they'd cancel it and be like celebration. Like, yeah, <laughs> you just got out of prison or something. Yeah, yeah, and then but it's so weird how they they choose when to cancel it too. Because sometimes I swear it's like it's not even a problem out there, you know. <laughs> and then and then other times it's like a a fucking blizzard, and they're like, "Ah, oh, you're going to school still." 
Well, you gotta you gotta live in you gotta live where we're from. You lived in you lived in a smaller town. I grew up in a smaller town. That's the only way you're really getting days off. You live in a city, they're gonna make you go to school. Like they're gonna probably make you go to school. You live in like the you live out in the boonies, like where you and I grew up. They're like, yeah, there's like an inch of snow on the ground. We ain't, we ain't going anywhere. You're you're good and cancel it. Because that was the great thing about where I lived. Like I grew up. My my graduating class is 85. Like there's nobody. Like I had the smallest school ever. So they're like, an inch of snow on the ground. Yeah, it's too dangerous we'll we'll go ahead and cancel school for the day bro where i in my elementary school where i grew up so they almost everybody walked to school and it was in a farm town there was like you know maybe like 20 kids at most that, that rode the bus so like they didn't cancel it for shit i remember walking <laughs> you know the old story like i walked through you know 10 inches of snow up <laughs> for 10 miles like that was actually me bro like i i walked through blizzards and like thunderstorms and like I don't know what I never asked my mom about that. Like, why the fuck didn't you give me a ride, mom? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going on here? Now do you now do you give do you give your kid because I remember when I was a kid, every parent gives that kid their speech, right? Like like I used to walk ten miles through snow to make it to school. You kids are so pampered now. Like, do you give them the speech when they're like, Oh dad, I don't want to go? Like, hold on now. I walked through ten feet of snow and a mile and a half with barbed wire on my feet and I made it to school. Well, you know, I'd never thought about it before, but now that we're talking about it, they're getting the fucking speech tomorrow, <laughs> right before this school season starts. But I don't want to fucking hear about it. <laughs> you have but no idea what I went through. Yeah, they're about to get it, bro. I'm glad we had this conversation. See, this is important it, stuff here. It, it works out well. It works out well. So, uh, a little, a little broadcasting note here. So we will have the show this week, of course, but we'll be off next week. I am actually taking a rare vacation, so I'll be gone for a week. Uh, so we wanted to get on and do a podcast this week to uh, do a little preview ahead of time for 291, UFC 291, taking place in two weeks' time. Incredible card. Uh, couldn't miss out talking about that, but I won't be back until literally the day of that event. Um, so I figured we'd knock out a podcast today. But before we get to 291, timing-wise, it was just really weird timing. We did the show last week. The very next day, big announcement was made, of course. Francis Ngannou is actually boxing Tyson Fury October 28th. It is a real heavyweight boxing fight. There's no exhibition crap, no you know, no weird rules, nothing like that. Now, no titles on the line. WBC, I spoke to the WBC. They said no titles on the line. I think they have a rule, too, where like you have to have so many fights or something to fight for a WBC title. But regardless, no title on the line, but it is for it is a real heavyweight fight. Matt, you and I talked about this at length a few weeks back. You know, what should Ngannou do? Who should he fight? And you kind of convinced me that Anthony Joshua was maybe the best the best possibility of a win because Anthony Joshua doesn't like really getting hit, hasn't looked great lately, and maybe that would be a fight. You know, I always said Deontay Wilder just because the two biggest guys with the biggest punches, and I think we both kind of agreed at the time that the biggest fight, yet probably the worst fight stylistically, would be Tyson Fury, and this is the one he got. Yeah, what a crazy thing, right? Like, so it's going to be 12 rounds too, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of rounds to go with Tyson Fury. Bro. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I don't care how hard you hit. But, yeah, I mean, that's a lot of rounds to go with Ngano too. But the cardio is different. The pace is different. Like, the gloves obviously are different. Like, I'm, I assume they're doing full boxing, regular boxing, you know, same gloves, everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's going to have to, that's what I just, I, I don't know. I don't know, um, you know, this whole consensus that, that these guys have chances in there, you know, and, you know, I mean, it's not like he doesn't have any chance at all. Right. We know he definitely hits hard, you know, Wilder dropped fury. So, you know, it's not like he doesn't have any chance at all, but come on. It's like, dude, you are literally doing a different sport. That's what I wish people would realize Like it is, not fighting it is boxing you know i mean it is a fighting sport but it's a like like you are li there's literally like all of your weapons are taken away except for the two that this man has been practicing his whole life with you know like yeah. you practice with all these other weapons and that's all time that he was only working on those two weapons so and and you're talking about tyson fury one of the greatest heavyweights and you know i've had some people i've you know, some of my friends that are, you know, huge boxing guys that they put Tyson up there with one of the, some, one of the greatest heavyweights, um, not necessarily because of his resume, but, you know, they just believe that he's that good. And, you know, 
he's just in a tough time in history where trying to, you know, make a case to be one of the greatest in history is just going to be difficult, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he is. And yeah, he's just, he is. He's in that weird time where he doesn't have, like, he didn't fight. He's not fighting in the era when there was, you know, Evander Holyfield and Tyson and, you know, uh, Lennox Lewis and the Klitschko's. And like, that was like that weird little, uh, that l- weird little era where they had like a lot of really good heavyweights. You know what I mean? Right now, we're not yeah. really in that era. Um, you know, there's a, yeah, there's a few. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, it's a weird one. Like, obviously, I, I think Ngannou's got a shot because he does have that, you know, as, as Joe Rogan called it, the nuclear option. He does have the power. But the reality is, is you have to hit him with that power. And, like, it, like Deontay Wilder, yes. Deontay Wilder did it in the first fight. He dropped him, looked like maybe he was done. Tyson Fury somehow survived. He came back, got a draw. And then what did Tyson Fury do the next two fights? He picked he picked uh, Deontay Wilder apart and absolutely demolished him both times. Like, it was not even a fight. Like, Deontay was never in either yeah. one of those fights. Now, my only question, the reality, like because we know – like Tyson has spoken very openly about, you know, mental health and things he's gone through. So I don't want to turn it into that kind of conversation. But what I'm asking is, is like, we know Tyson got like way out of shape. You know, he, you know, he gained weight and like kind of just let himself go. Then he got back and he you know looked incredible. My only question is, is like, is he like, I have to imagine he's going to be motivated to fight Francis, even though he's going to be an overwhelming favorite to win. That's the only thing that scares me about this fight, about, like, is he going to be truly motivated? But if he is, and I think he will be, because he doesn't want to get embarrassed by getting knocked out or beaten by a UFC fighter who's never boxed before in his life, uh, if there's a motivated Tyson Fury in there, I mean, sure, yes, Ngannou has the chance of pulling off, like, that one crazy punch. But, I mean, come on, like, are we going to be, like, what are those chances, like, percentage-wise? Like, does he have, like, a... 0.3% like I mean I'm just being because this is this was the worst matchup of all the heavyweights we we both agreed on that well that's what I I keep saying you know when we talk about what's you know what is his chance right maybe it's a 50% maybe it's a zero percent I don't know but that's it we don't know we've never seen him box so we don't know and that's what makes it I guess kind of exciting to watch but at the same time you know I feel like it's going to be like uh, uh, McGregor Mayweather or, you know, this Musk Zuckerberg thing or whatever, yeah. where, you know, it's exciting to think about and the promos are going to be great. The pump up's going to be great. Everybody's going to have a big party. Uh, you know, every, the bars are going to be packed out. Everybody's going to get the pay-per-view. And then around 1230 at night when it's in, I don't know, the sixth, seventh round, we're going to be like, we're going to be way more interested in the bourbon and the Coors Light. <laughs> Then we, are, you know, I guess not the Bud Light, right? But <laughs> everybody's going to be more interested in, you know, partying and hanging out with their friends. They are in this fight because they're going to be like, dude, this is, you know, it's fucking retarded, bro. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Well, it's like, listen, like I, I, I don't fault Francis for doing it. I mean, he's saying that he's oh. going to, he's going to make more money from this fight than he made in his entire UFC career. Okay, got no problem with that. Uh, he's always dreamed of doing boxing. Don't have any problem with that. And listen, if you can get a Tyson Fury fight in your first professional boxing fight, skip the line and get that payday. Once again, nothing, nothing, not, 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 no problem with that whatsoever. But the the downside is the the competition, right? Like when when Floyd fought Connor, people were talking themselves into Connor having a chance. Like people were just talking themselves into, well, connor has got massive power in his left hand. He's a really good boxer for MMA and Holly Holm, who lost this past weekend, but she said something to me when we talked and did our interview before her fight, we were talking about boxers coming to MMA and MMA coming to boxers. And she said, yes, hypothetically, it is easier for an MMA fighter to go to boxing because there is an element of boxing in MMA. It's much harder to go the other way around because a boxer doesn't have grappling, doesn't have wrestling, doesn't have jujitsu. There's just so much more to learn. And that's true. He does have an element of that. But there's a difference between knowing how to box and knowing how to beat Tyson Fury. Like, that's a huge gap. Like, maybe Tyson, maybe Francis could go out there and knock out the number 20 ranked heavyweight or whatever. Like, maybe he would have a better chance against that. But there's a wide gap between that number 20 guy, like a guy who has 
30 pro fights and all the experience and all that, you know, uh, all that. Was it Otto? Was it Otto Whalen? Was that the guy's name who, who fought Tyson a few years ago? Had the big cut over his head. Otto Weilen, Weilen. Uh, you know, he's got like 20, 30 fights and he got absolutely picked apart and decimated by, by, by Tyson Fury. So like first fight guy, the, the gap, like, or, I don't know. I guess my question is, are we going to try to talk ourselves into seriously believing Tyson or that, that in God is going to win this? Well, right. That, and that's kind of what I'm saying is that we don't have any, uh, we, we don't have anything to base that off of because we've never seen him box and maybe he goes in there and proves it's all wrong, but the likelihood of that is so slim and exactly what you're talking about with the, you know, there is an element of boxing, but we have to train so many other things. The boxers only train boxing. And, uh, and, the, and when you're talking about, you know, boxing specifically, you're also talking about different uh, rounds. You know, you get more rest periods. They have more time to sit with their corner, you know, in between rounds and think about things and strategize and change the game plan. Um, you know, it's in a, a, a ring versus a cage. You know, it's a square versus an octagon. It's, uh, yeah, there's just so many differences that, you know, and I think we've kind of talked about it before when we were doing the podcast, talking about this fight hypothetically uh, many months back. And I'm like, you know, when you see a guy come in from, you know, he uh, uh, boxing, like, you know, maybe this auto guy that you're talking about, right? You bet you can almost like that's why betting boxing is cool because you can almost guess what's going to happen, right? And there's always surprises. It's combat sports. There's always surprises, but you know you kind of know like that's why boxers pick their guys. Like they they there's tons of tape. Like guys do generally they do you know hundreds of um, you know uh, uh, amateur matches. They know who we you know everybody knows who they are by the time they go pro. They go pro and they pick you know certain fights where they're gonna either, you know, be exposed or be challenged in certain ways. And, you know, other managers and, you know, uh, connoisseurs of the sport, they see that and they see exactly who this guy is and what he's going to bring to the match. We don't have any of that within Ghana. We have no idea. And, you know, because he's knocked out some guys in MMA, see, I would also argue that, you know, you have to be a su supreme athlete to be a uh, high level in any combat sport. But I think the athleticism in MMA um, can make up for a lot more faults than it can in boxing, right? When, like Wilder is every bit as good of an athlete, maybe a better athlete, you know, again, depending on how you define athleticism, um, you know, versus uh, uh, Tyson Fury, right? He's probably better, at, like he's probably got a better 40 time. He could probably bench press more. He could probably, you know, run better, jump longer. You know what I mean? Like all these athletic skills. And that goes, I, in my opinion, a lot longer way in MMA than it does in a boxing because again, because of the rounds, because of, um, you know, you, you're dealing with only two uh, weapons, you know, so like it's, it's, and it's a, such a high skilled sport that, um, you know, you can't just make up for it with athleticism over 12 rounds, you know, maybe a round or two, you get away with it. And I think, like, that's why Connor did pretty decent with Mayweather starting off, right? Like, he, he did okay, right? Because he is an athlete. Like, he's an athletic dude. He knows how to box. But over, you just seen, you know, over the course of the fight, like, the skill level was just, you know, universes apart. And because, you know, fucking Floyd had, he's been, he's done that, you know, however many hundred times, right? Like, you know, competitively and how many thousands of times you know, inspiring. And so that's why I think it's such a big unknown, but I think that's kind of part of the appeal of it, you know, because uh, like you said already that Francis has that nuclear option or whatever you call it, he, you know, he does have that. So, but to, to think that that's going to, you know, you know, if we're going to buy a pay-per-view based off of like, okay, this dude either lands this one big punch on one of the greatest heavyweights ever or he's going to get demolished. Like that doesn't interest me to watch it. You know what I mean? Cause there's a lot of guys that could do that. Yeah. I think that's the, the oddity of this fight because, you know, like I talked to, uh, Ingano's head coach, Eric Nixick from, uh, you know, from extreme couture and listen, he's not, he's not mistaken in how tough this is. Like he's not, you know, sitting there saying we're the favorite or like, you know, we should win. Like he understands they're, they're fighting an uphill battle here, but he also understands that, 
you know, there have been these massive upsets. We all remember, of course, Columbus's own Buster Douglas, you know, going out there and knocking out, you know, Mike Tyson. Things like that can happen, especially at heavyweight, because heavyweight is a weird one, right? Because much like heavyweight MMA, there's a reason why, you know, Steep A with three title defenses is the most of all time. When we talk about all the great, you know, incredible heavyweights in UFC history, the Randy Couture's and the Mark Coleman's and all these guys who never got there because it's just so freaking hard to avoid just getting hit with that one clean shot to put you out. Um, and that's there in boxing as well. But the, the difference is, is that, you know, like I said, I mean, in, Fury is so good. Like he's so like, he's just an incredible boxer. Like he's not Deontay Wilder. He doesn't need one shot to put you out. He will pick you apart like a surgeon for five rounds and then he'll put you out. Uh, defensively, mm-hmm. he's good. Long jab, good power, volume, never slows down. Great. Car- I mean, like I said, I'm not saying I would have picked Nganu to beat Wilder or Joshua. I would have said he's going to be an underdog against all those guys. Like, he should be. Realistically, he should be an underdog against any you know good heavyweight boxer. Tyson Fury is the one where I'm like, biggest fight – largest like chance that you're going to get beat up pretty you know, like that yeah. like that's the like like connor I, I know this is different like connor could have fought other like lower ranked guys and maybe had a, a, a decently competitive fight but he stepped in there with floyd freaking mayweather one of the greatest defensive boxers like one of the greatest boxers of that era and the same thing with tyson like tyson fury is is a monster this is the worst matchup Francis could have taken. Now, again, I don't fault him for taking it because if they gave me $50 million or whatever he's getting paid, I'd step in there with Tyson Fury tomorrow. Uh, I'd get knocked out and I'd go home with my $50 million and be happy about it. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, I mean, and I know you said, like, it's, you know, we don't know what to expect. There's that mystery element that kind of sells the fight a little bit. But boxing and MMA is totally different than boxing. Like, boxing and MMA, what you like, the way you throw a jab, the way you throw a body shot, the way you throw an uppercut, the way you throw an overhand. Yes, it's boxing and it's and it works in MMA, but the way it works in MMA is not the way it works in traditional boxing. Uh, go watch any high level boxing fight and tell him go watch go watch Lomachenko and uh, Devin Haney and tell me that that's not a completely different style of boxing than what you're going to see when an MMA guy steps in there. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I agree. It's it's like the freak show element of it. We're all going to, I'm going to, I mean, beyond me covering it as a journalist, like I'm going to watch it. I'm curious. Uh, but I also know in the back yeah. of my head, I, I, I pretty much know what I think is going to happen. Right. And that's what I feel like we've talked so much this year, more than ever in the history of our lives about all these fights, you know, between like Jake Paul and, you know, Floyd Mayweather, Connor and, um, you know, now this one and Elon Musk and <laughs> dude, it's like, it's like the only appeal to all these fights is we don't know what's going to happen. You know, like, but why, why is this like constantly an appeal for people? You know what I mean? Like, especially when, when you could watch just about any UFC card and you're going to get high level, uh, high level fighting. And even like the lower level guys in the UFC, I mean, you'll get some fucking throw down wars and brawls, even on the prelims of a, you know, Saturday night card that you didn't even know was happening until you turn on ESPN at six o'clock and you're like, oh, okay, cool. This fight's on. And you'll get some fucking crazy war. But it, it's just this draw to these names. And it's like you said, you know, if uh, someone paid me $50 million, I'd go in there and take it. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, anybody would. So, you know, props to Francis. Like, he's the guy who, you know, we all say, yeah, I would do that. It's like, well, he's a guy that gets to do that. So, but, yeah, he's got a chance, I guess. You know, <laughs> that's, about, that's about all you can say, right? Like, I guess he's got a chance. I mean, but, again, you know, the um, he's such an athlete and he's a gigantic person, you know, as such a strong guy, such a, a hard hitter. It's just a matter of, like, that it's 12 rounds, bro. Like, you know, they, they work years. And that's why I got these guys do amateur fights and low-level pro fights. And that's why the boxers don't fight nobody for, you know, 10, 15, 20 fights. And, you know, they're fighting, you know, um, kind of mediocre boxers, right? They're, they're learning about themselves. They're learning how to compete in a boxing match, how to set things up for later rounds or – you know, how to work the body better, you know, whatever it might be for, for each different person. But, you know, if you go in and anybody out there listening to the trains, if you go in and you do a boxing match for eight, 10, 12 rounds, 
like you're going to feel a huge ginormous difference from doing three five minute mma rounds you know just in terms of the setups the uh the traps the you know taking your time knowing how to pace yourself knowing how to rest and and explode and and you know knowing um the rounds themselves knowing like okay you know i'm up one round or down two rounds i won that one lost you know what i mean like it's just an it's just such a vastly different game that i think um you know until you've had experience doing it that's that's why these boxers start with four round matches and then and then six and then eight ten and then finally 12 for the championship fights that's why they do it because it it is a skill to develop just that that um and i think that's part of what they call like ring generalship right when you talk about not just controlling the ring itself but controlling the pace of the match all the time and that's where you know lomachenko has 400 um amateur matches and what you know probably about about 20 um pro matches now and his biggest mistake has been controlling uh um early on right like he's lost his matches because he's losing the early rounds like like that's a perfect case of someone who's not playing that game to the highest level you know when like floyd was the best at it right like or one of the best at it, right he would lose those early rounds but he would he knew that he was getting them back right so anyway i won't get too deep into it but that's just another uh, a complete another aspect of the game that someone like Francis has never experienced. And now he's got to go experience against the best in the world. Yeah. So realistically, as you said, there's that element of like mystery, right? Like that's what we're all going to tune in for. How could it happen? We don't know what kind of boxer he is all the, but again, we don't know any of this question, but the same kind of like theory of like when Jake Paul, if he comes into MMA and fights someone in MMA and like, doesn't fight just some low level dude, he fights, I know he fights a 185. He fights uh, Hamza Chamayev, or he fights, or he fights, you know, uh, Izzy Adas- Israel Adesanya, or he fights a Robert Whitaker or Drake's Duplessis, whatever. We can sit here and say, well, you know, maybe this or maybe that, but we we pretty much know how it's going to go out. Do you do you realistically give Francis much of a chance against Tyson Fury? Honestly, uh, not really. Again, it's, <laughs> it's just all those reasons that I said. It's not that um, he can't land a punch and hurt Tyson. But you know, the, the, the other part of that too is of course he's a, a very powerful boxer or a very powerful puncher, but um, you know, that one punch has to finish him too. Right. Like, cause if you want to talk about like, if you know, they end up boxing again for 12 rounds and they're actually boxing, you know, then you don't give a chance against Francis. So we're, you know, the one chance that, that we do uh, grant him is that he's going to land that big punch that big punch has to be the one now, right? That has like, he's got to have like almost a superhuman amount of power, right? Deontay Wilder wasn't able to do it. So, I mean, he's got to have a superhuman amount of power to finish Tyson Fury with that one punch. So first he's got to find a way to land it. And then he's got to land it. It's way too much to overcome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And listen, I would argue that even like for as powerful as Francis is, I would argue that in boxing, Deontay Wilder is probably still a more powerful puncher because he's been doing it his whole life. Like he knows how to throw a punch in boxing and knock people out um, wearing the gloves, all those little things that you just don't do in MMA. It's going to be a whole different world for Francis. So I'm glad, man. I'm glad he got to fight. I'm glad he's getting paid, man. It wouldn't happen to a nicer guy. Francis is one of the nicest dudes in this business. Um, I hope he has. I hope he has a blast doing this. I just don't give him a great chance of winning. And I, listen, I don't think you. I don't think anyone's going to feel insulted saying that. Like you'd almost. You're almost insulting Tyson Fury if you're saying, "Oh yeah, I give him a great chance to win." No, I mean that's just not realistic. But hey, will I be watching? Will we all be watching? Sure. And do I root for Francis to go out there and make a big payday? Absolutely. I hope he gets paid a huge amount of money and uh, and enjoys himself because I know he's always wanted to do this. So yeah, I'm happy for him, but I don't give him a great chance to win. Now you talk about. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. 
This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the US, so make sure you don't miss it. High level versus... Francis versus Tyson's one thing. Then we roll into 291 here in a couple weeks. We've got two incredibly high-level fights. Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, too. And, of course, Jan Blahovich against Alex Pereira. Um, it's funny. You remember that. You probably remember this. When you were going to fight Carlos Condit the first time, it was going to be on the same card as Gaethje and uh, and Poirier originally when they were when they talked about doing it. I had made a uh, – I'm not really good at Photoshop, but I made a Photoshop and called it UFC Red Wedding from Game of Thrones because I was like, these two fights, like this is like the ultimate card. Uh, it didn't end up playing out that way, but the first Poirier-Gaethje fight was an all-time classic. Of course, Dustin Poirier got the job done. Uh, now they're coming back. We got to imagine the winner is probably going to get a title shot, especially now that we know – Charles Oliveira said he's not going to be ready to fight in October. We know Isla Makachev is going to fight in October. Uh, man, this is one of those ones where it's like, I don't feel like we need to talk about it, but I feel like we have to talk about it because this is just such an incredible fight. Dude, what do you say about that fight, man? I mean, we've seen how it went down the first time, and I can't expect anything less this time, right? Like, these guys are just going to come even harder. Gage is going to be even hungrier. Poirier is always hungry and, and coming to bang, so... Jesus Christ, but what just an incredible card all around, man. I mean, this is, I looked at it the other day. This might be, I don't know if I might be reaching here, but this might be the best card I've ever seen. I mean, if, if look at the the whole thing, read it out maybe, and, you know, tell me if, if I'm wrong here. No, it's a really, really good card from top to bottom. Hold on one second. Let me, re, let me read it out to you here. All right, so at the top of the card, of course, we got Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje fighting for the BMF title, which, you know, who kind of cares about the BMF part of it, but... The, the, the fight itself. Jan Blahovich against Alex Pereira. Paulo Costa against Ikram Aliskarov. Tony Ferguson against Bobby Green. Michael Chiesa and Kevin Holland. On the prelims, you got Stephen Wonderboy Thompson against Michelle Pereira. Uh, Derek Lewis fighting Marcus Rogerio de Lima. Um, so, yeah, a lot of cards, a lot of fights on the undercard. But, yeah, that, that five-fight main card kicks off with Chiesa and Holland and uh, then goes into Tony Ferguson, Bobby Green, and then Paulo Costa and Ikram Aliskarov. And then, of course, the main two fights with Blahovich Pereira and then capping things off with Gaethje and Poirier. That's what I'm saying, bro. Like, that main card, is that the best main card that's ever been? I mean, it's pretty good. I don't know if I'd say best. I have to look at cards, to be honest. Like, we just did a we did a breakdown of International Fight Week's cards and we basically said the number one card was UFC 189, which is the card you fought on uh, when you beat Tim Means and then rolled right into that main card. We had, you know, Robbie and Rory and Connor and Chad Mendez, and that whole card was insane. Like, basically, the card up to your fight kind of sucked, and then you went out and beat Tim Means, and then every fight on the main card was a finish. So it's like, it's also like revisionist history, right? Like if the fight, had, if that fight card had played out and it was all decisions or boring fights, we'd look back and say, oh, it wasn't great, but because of the way it played out. So I would say there's a potential for this card because all those fights have potential to be pretty great. You know what I mean? I think that's the fun part about this. So I would agree on that, Mark. Um, at the top, let me ask you, let me, let's, let me ask you a little different question when it comes to Gaethje Poirier, because we saw the first fight. It was a human car crash, and we got to imagine the second fight's going to have some elements of that, right? Gaethje ultimately lost. Poirier knocked him out in the fourth round, I believe, is when it ended, right? You know, I don't. When you were in Colorado, did you ever train with Gaethje? Were you ever around Gaethje much at all? Okay, I was about uh, him a couple of times. I didn't train with him. Okay, so but you, but you obviously you know both these guys really well. Here's my question, Matt, because I want to hear from you because you're a fighter, you know, and you're a coach. What does Justin Gaethje have to do differently this time to beat Dustin Poirier? Because it was just a car crash. You know, it goes either way. But you don't want it to be a car crash. Like, you want to you want to beat the other guy handily. You don't want it to be a three-round, five-round war. You want to beat him. So, in your opinion, knowing Gaethje, knowing Poirier, what does Justin Gaethje have to do differently this time? Yeah, I think that's a great question because um... – you know, like the, the first fight, I mean, I think Gagey was doing really well. And I think he, you know, he looked well. He wasn't like, you know, drained from the weight cut or, you know, out of shape, didn't look injured or anything like that. So um, you got to think that was his, the best he could do that night. So um, you got to look at, okay, what can we change now um, to make it a little bit better? And I think the one thing, well, two things about Gagey is that he has some, a lot of things that he doesn't, like to use right his wrestling 
and hit is an obvious one, which we talk about a lot. So I think that's an easy one. If you can add in, you know, a little bit more wrestling and, you know, just throw Dustin off a little bit and maybe discourage some of that uh, hardcore forward pressure that Dustin likes to get going. And especially, you know, if Dustin does start to get going, I mean, we know how uh, brutal Dustin could be once he gets going, right? Like once he gets going, he's a tough guy to stop. So I think that's an easy one, but also, I think Gagey can utilize like just simple things like his jab and his footwork more, you know, just move around a little more, like not make it as much of a war. And I actually think that Gagey can make it uh, lean, potentially can make it even lean into his favor if he uses, you know, a skill versus skill versus, you know, war versus war fighter, right? And I think that Gagey has that in him to do that. I mean, he has a, um, you know, brilliant corner man, uh, game plan strategist with Trevor Whitman. And I think that Gagey has the the ability to do that. We see him do that with, uh, I think it was Tony Ferguson, right? We've seen him use his jab really well. We've seen him, you know, kind of take his time. And, you know, he landed a lot of bombs, but, you know, he never uh, overextended himself trying to go for a knockout or anything. Um, so I think both of those things together, just be patient, take your time. And, you know, when the, you know that there's going to be a time when he's got to bite down his mouthpiece and go to war, you know, whether that's Dustin or Justin and, you know, they're both ready for that. But if you can keep Justin specifically um, away from that mentality and use it when it's needed versus for turning it into a fight like that on purpose, I think that'll uh, give him a, a much better chance of, of coming out on top in this fight. Yeah, I totally agree. I love the idea of using all your weapons, even if you don't use all your weapons. Like, threaten the takedown. Just threaten the, the threatening the takedown changes the way Poirier is going to fight. If he actually believes he can get taken down, he's going to make adjustments so he doesn't get taken down, and that's going to alter the way he fights. Um, I think, like, I would agree with you. Use all your weapons. Like, even if you're not going out there trying to grind out a five-round decision on the ground, at least threaten with it. You know what I mean? Fight. I like when, I love when Gaethje fights in a phone booth. When he gets in the clinch with guys and beats them up from there, good body shots, in close. Because Dustin is really good at distance, man. Dustin is such a good distance fighter. When he has you at distance, he will absolutely pick you apart. His boxing's incredible. His power's incredible. Um, and he can just pour it on, man. He can pour it on round after round after round and not go away. I think for Gaethje, he's got to keep it close. He can't just stand on the outside and trade punches with Poirier because that's just like a – I'm not saying losing proposition, but it's going to be a lot tougher to win that fight, in my opinion. Like just trading punches on the outside with Dustin Poirier seems like a really bad idea. So I think getting in close is key. And I love what you said. Use all your weapons. Again, just threaten. Threaten the takedown. Threaten the clinch. Threaten little things that you didn't do the first time around to make Dustin think – and then you have a better chance of landing something when he's not looking or when he's def- like he's he's in a he's in a, a guard where he's posturing to try to um, stop a takedown. Well, suddenly you're maybe you open up his head or you open up his body or you open up his legs, whatever it is you're doing to make him alter the way he would fight. That's the way you win. Um because we got to imagine like this, I'm not going to say it's it for Justin Gaethje with this fight because, you know, obviously, you know, he's such an exciting, fun guy to watch that it's never going to take him that long to get back into title contention because, I mean, he just, I mean, he lost a, he lost Oliveira, beat uh, Rafael Fazeev in a fight you and I absolutely loved. Um, and now he's getting Poirier. So Jake Gaethje report, neither one of these guys is ever going to be far away from the top. But I don't think he wants to go into against Dustin Poirier, right? Like no one wants to go into against anybody. So I mean, this is a big, this is a big moment for Justin. Yeah, I agree. And I was interested you said that how how good Dustin is from a distance, and I think that's kind of what I was getting at with KGB. Again, using our weapons, like don't get into that distance war with with Dustin. That's totally what he wants. So, you know, when I say use our weapons, like when you're at that distance, like Dustin again, they're going to go to war at some point, like. Dustin's going to bite down on his mouthpiece and come forward. Gagey will bite down his mouthpiece and go forward. But let's try to minimize that amount of time if you're Dustin, if you're Justin Gagey. Let's try to minimize the amount of time that we're, you know, winging punches as hard as we can at a distance. And, and in those moments in time, that's when you can shoot for a takedown, slow the fight down, make Dustin think twice about doing that again. That's when you can, you know, start moving your feet a little bit, throwing some jabs, so Dustin has to work to get to that range. There's a lot of different things you can do right there. And, you know, like you said, clinching or, you know, shooting. 
Um, but trying to minimize that amount of time, I think, would t- go a long way for him. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. And here's the problem. You know, listen, this is always going to be – I mean, Dustin Poirier is going to be a tough matchup for anybody. No one's just rolling over on Dustin Poirier. But Dustin is so good at just mounting damage over rounds. Like, he hits really, really hard, yeah. but he does it for – I mean, he just does it round after round. It's kind of scary the way he could just pour it on and keep coming – and like, I'm just like, I said this to somebody, I can't remember who I was talking to doing an interview, but I was like, it still shocks me. Like I, like Dustin has never actually been the undisputed lightweight champion. Like he's had the interim title. He's fought for the title a couple of times, but it's like so bizarre to me. He's so good, but he's never actually been an undisputed champion. Like it's kind of wild to me. Right, so like, right. listen, I'd be wrong if I didn't say I favor Poirier to win. Like, I mean, he's got all the tools. He's still an incredibly dangerous fighter. And even though I think Justin Gaethje has gotten a lot better of not just getting lured into those crazy wars, like he looked, he looked really good against Fazeev. Like he really had a good fight against Fazeev. Uh, the problem is he still gets hit. He got hit a couple of hard times by Fazeev. And I just, I think Dustin Poirier might be one of the hardest punchers in the lightweight division, maybe ever, like maybe ever, just like punch for punch, one of the hardest punchers ever. Um, he's going to get hit at some point. And can he survive that barrage for five rounds? I don't know, man. Like I said, it's just, it's hard for me. To, I mean, it's hard for me to pick against Dustin Poirier against anybody not named Isla Makachev. Like, I picked Poirier to beat Oliveira. Now, Oliveira obviously beat him, but like, I picked Poirier to win that fight. Uh, you know, so I don't think anyone's beating Islam right now, but I. I don't know, man. Like, I have a hard time picking against Poirier in this one. I really do. And I love Gaethje, man. I love the motivation he's had. I love the fire that's kind of burning inside of him. He's really motivated to get this one back and then get the title fight. But I don't know, man. I think I, I just think Dustin Poirier is so damn good. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting one, man. Uh, it may come down to, like, you know, who who does have more fire left in him at this point. You know what I mean? And if I got a guess on that you know it's totally a guess you know i'm gonna guess gagey and i'm probably gonna pick gagey to win this fight i think that he can make adjustments to win this fight it may be the ones that i just called or you called um, it may be his own that are different that we're not even thinking about um, but i think he can make the adjustments um you know when you said you were talking about dustin poirier you know he he's one of the hardest punchers but but almost, I, I don't even like saying the hardest puncher because he's not like a one not well one punch knockout guy, but he's got like the stiffest like fight changing punch. You know what I mean? Where almost like Manny Pacquiao, like he didn't knock out a lot of guys, um, and they both happen to be southpaws. So he didn't knock out a lot of guys with one punch, but when he hit guys, like the fight changed right there. You know what I mean? When he landed a clean shot, like the guys, the the opponent's mentality just changed. And the guy did not want that again. And that's what I see with Dustin Poirier. And he's going to have to land one of those punches on Gagey. Of course, he did it the first time they fought. Uh, but I think he's going to have to land again. I think Gagey's going to be a little bit more aware. I've seen more improvement out of Gagey. I think he's fought more than Dustin also, to be fair. But I think I've seen more improvement out of him since their last fight. And with that, I'm going to have to lean towards Gagey in this. Yeah, I, I agree there. That's the one thing. Like, you know, obviously, Poirier had the two fights with Connor. Um, I don't know what Connor we're seeing, what we saw in those fights, like where Connor was at in his career when he fought Poirier. Nothing against, no, certainly nothing against Dustin, not Dustin's fault. Like, the, you know, whether Connor was, you know, checked out maybe in those fights, I don't know. Um, but Poirier, you know, he, he steamrolled him and, and got, you know, wins in both fights. And then obviously went out and beat Chandler, which was an impressive win. And he beat Chandler more thoroughly than, than Gaethje did. Gaethje had a bit more of a war with Chandler. But yeah, I don't know. Like I I, I do like a, a super motivated Gaethje. I think that's going to be interesting because he's got revenge on his mind. And he knows that, I mean, he was honest when I talked to him after the physique fight. He knows he doesn't have a long time left in the sport. Like he's like, you know. I got a few, a couple years left. And, and when you say a couple years, like realistically, that's like two or three fights. Like you don't fight, you know, five times a year. No, you know, rarely does anyone do that. So he knows, like he knows that he's probably making like what may be his final run of the title, right? Like if he's going to get another shot, you know, it's probably now or never. So I like that kind of motivation. And Dustin, you know, Dustin's set. Like Dustin made a lot of money in those two Connor fights. I'm sure he made a boatload of cash. Um, he's probably set for life. So is he as fired up? Maybe, I don't know. So yeah, I like what you're saying. Like in my gut, like I just, I have a hard time picking against Dustin Poirier because he's so good and, and he's so technical and he's so, he's just, he, he's such a good fighter. And he, and I think stylistically he has what he needs to do to beat Justin Gaethje. 
But like my heart says Gaethje. Like I just I don't know. There's something about Gaethje. Like the, just the way he's been fighting lately. I love it. But yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll go we'll, we'll we'll go opposites here. You and Gaethje, I'll go Poirier, and we'll see we'll see how this one goes. Um, I mean, it's kind of, it is a little bit of a coin flip like that. Yeah. But I, I like what you said about uh, you know Gaethje has to know that he's you know in his last run. You know Poirier probably doesn't feel a whole lot different uh, to be honest either, right? Like he's got to know that. You know, he doesn't have a lot left, but I think Gagey's going to be fighting for a little bit more. You know, yeah. that's, and I think that may be the difference maker. And, and again, you know, I kind of, I, I like what Trevor Whitman does. I think uh, it seems that he pulls out these great strategies uh, pretty much regularly at this point, you know. So, um, the, and that's the kind of things that make me lean towards Gagey, but it's, uh, you know, this it really is a coin flip, you know, because both these guys are gonna, like I said, the, the, the chances of them biting down their mouthpieces and swinging for the fences at some point is pretty high. <laughs> so, so, um, uh, you know, when and when that happens, you know, it, it really is a coin flip. Um, but I, I again, I, I think um, Gagey's hunger and motivation might have got him training a little bit harder. But you know, who are we to say, right? That's completely hypothetical guess and. Hopefully Dustin doesn't want to kick my ass for saying it. <laughs> we'll see how it plays out. All I know is it's going to be entertaining. Whether it goes one round or five rounds, it's going to be entertaining. Real quick before we get out of here, Matt, the other big fight on the card, of course, co-main event, Jan Blahovich against Alex Pereira. And this fight gained even more stakes, as we know, because last week, late last week, Jamal Hill relinquished his light heavyweight title. He tore, uh, he had a ruptured Achilles tendon, suffered in a basketball game. Really unfortunate, man. My heart breaks. For Jamal mm-hmm. Hill going through that, he's had surgery. He's going to be out for probably the better part of a year. Uh, so now we already knew, like Jan Blahovich. I interviewed Jan about a week and a half ago, and he said, you know, he's been promised a title shot if he can win because um, the rest division has kind of been staying stagnant. Like Ankalaev hasn't fought since he fought Blahovich. Um, now, like now that Jamal Hill's out, like we know Yuri Prohoshka is going to come back, so I imagine he's going to be one half of whatever title fight gets made. And then, you know, it would make a lot of sense. The winner of this one would end up fighting Yuri. Uh, and who wouldn't want to see Yuri and Jan and who wouldn't want to see Yuri and Alex Pereira? My God, either one of those fights sign oh, yeah. me up. Um, but the stakes raised, right? Like the stakes raised now because of what's going on in the light heavyweight division. Um, we talked a lot about Alex in those two fights with, in, uh, against Adesanya. And you know Pereira very well because you follow kickboxing far closer than I do. So you know him very well. How do you think Alex is going to do at light heavyweight? And again, I know this is an unknown because we just, you know, he's big, he's powerful. We see all the videos, he's strong, but that still doesn't mean, you know, Luke Rockhold looked big and strong and, and huge when he went and fought Jan Blahovich and Blahovich broke his jaw. So, you know, we can sit here and talk, oh man, he looks great. But what do we expect out of Pereira at light heavyweight? Yeah, I guess I, I, it's hard to imagine Jan not doing the same game plan he did against Izzy, right? So it's just, and you know, to be realistic about it, I think Izzy probably had trained in the wrestling and jujitsu and stuff more than we've than Alex, right? It may or may not be true, but that's kind of you know from the outside looking in, that's what I would uh, guess off the top of my head. So. You know, you got to think that Jan's probably going to be able to do that same thing. You know, is Alex going to be able to stop it? And is he going to be able to, you know, get off shots or have a game plan or something to be able to stop that? Uh, it's hard to imagine. You know, it's a weird one because in my head, like, I like Alex Prayer. I think he's a, it's a really cool story what he was able to come in and become champion. But I kind of feel like we're still seeing Alex Prayer as an unfinished product. Like, he got the title shot right. against Israel because he had the wins over him in kickboxing. He didn't get it because he walked a murderer's row at middleweight and earned it. He didn't go through Robert Whitaker and Drakus Duplessis. And, you know, he didn't walk oh. a murderer's row. He beat Sean Strickland, which is a good win. But, like, he got it because he had the rivalry with Izzy. Like, let's all just be honest about that. He didn't get it because he was, like, truly the best middleweight contender. Um and then the rematch, you know, it was a great fight. And Israel caught him and knocked him out. And credit to Israel Adesanya. I think the problem here is, Matt, what you said is, like, I still think we're seeing a, a really good Jan Blahovich, like one of the best light heavyweights in the world, against really kind of still like an unknown a little bit in Alex Prayer. Like, he got taken down pretty much at will by Israel in their first fight, and Israel is not a wrestler. Like, he's not a grappler, and he got taken down and absolutely handled. Now, 
sure, Alice can get better. He trains with Glover to share. He's going to be better. But, I mean, how much better are you going to be against a guy who's going to be that much bigger, that much stronger, and that much better of a grappler? And Jan is actually a pretty good grappler. And he, you know, he suffocated Israel on the ground. Like, Izzy couldn't get out from under him. Uh, and he was advancing, passing guard, getting the side control. Like, I don't know, man. Like, unless unless Jan just goes out there and decides I'm going to go scorched earth and just trade punches with Alex Pereira, which I just I have a hard time believing. He t- That's what he told me. He's like, I want to test my stand-up against his stand-up. That's what you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me that. You're going to tell the world that. You're going to tell Alex Pereira that in particular. But what happens in the fight is you're going to take him down and elbow his head into the canvas. Uh I just, I, I, I think, I think Jan Blachowicz wins this fight. I just, this is a, like, this is a tough matchup and credit, credit to Pereira for taking it. But man, I just, I, this is like, to me, it's an uphill battle for him to win this one. Yeah. And Jan is one of those guys that, um, at least for me, he's always surprised me, man. He always comes and finds a way to win, uh, you know, somehow, you know, like it doesn't always look pretty. It's not always like, you know, the most technical, smoothest, most efficient looking thing, but he finds a goddamn way to get in there and get it done. And and you got to give a lot of credit to that. And, um, you know, I think a, a lot of the people probably picking Pereira are probably, you know, going, falling into the hype a little bit, you know, like you said, he's a little, he's a little bit unproven. So you kind of can't base it off of that. If Pereira do, goes in there and does it, you know, you know, more power to him. I love Alex Pereira. You know, he's definitely like one of my favorite fighters I've ever watched. So, you know, I'd probably even be cheering for him, but Jan Blahovich might be an underrated guy, to be honest. I mean, and he, and he is a, a hell of a good fighter. And like you said, he did that, you know, like I said before, he did it to Izzy. Like, I, I don't, I don't see where Alex has anything, um, you know, that Izzy couldn't bring to him. Yeah. You know, might be a little stronger, you know, obviously like he hits harder and stuff, but you know, we're talking about grappling wise, right? Like, like, like Jan's going to take him down and hold him down like he did Izzy. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, this is a weird one. Like, I like Alex going to light heavyweight. It seemed like that was a really tough cut for him to get to 185. And maybe that did deplete him a little bit in the rematch. You know, you know as well as I do, you know, water around the brain. When you weight cut, it's harder to come back from that. Maybe he wasn't able to take punches as much, all those kind of things. But, like, Alex Prayer against Johnny Walker. Alex Prayer against... Khalil Roundtree, guys who you know are going to probably stand up and strike with him and aren't nearly as much of a threat on the ground. That's kind of where I'm like, okay, let's see those kind of fights first and just let him progress. Like, let him build his way into being a legit light heavyweight because right now you're throwing him in against one of the, what, four best guys in the world in the division? Um, That's just a tall test, man. And like I said, I like Alex. I'm with you, man. I love watching him. Super fun style. But we know that we know Blahovich is good on the ground. We know he can take you down and just maul you on the ground, especially if you're not good on the ground. He did it to Israel. He's done it to other people. Um, yeah, I just I don't know, man. Like, and again, credit to Alex. He didn't shy away from a tough fight, but this is a really tough fight. Like that's like to me, like day one at light heavyweight, you don't want to call on you don't necessarily want to call on Prohoshka, even though Prohoshka is a little more wild, but you don't really want to call on him. You probably don't want to call on Ankalaev. You probably don't want to call on Blahovich uh, on day one, and maybe not even Alexander Rakic, depending on your day. Uh, do you really want to, like, on day one of the new weight class, is that the way you want to go? I don't know. And so, like, again, credit to Alex for doing it, but yeah, I'm picking, I'm picking Jan Blahovich too. I'm going to pick, you know what? I'm going to pick him to ground and pound finish this one. I think he's going to finish Pereira because I don't think Pereira can defend as well on the ground as Israel did. Israel still played defense and was able to hold on to Jan. I, I don't know that Alex has the experience because he can roll with Glover to share all day long, but Glover's not hitting him full force with punches on the ground. He needs a couple elbows from Jan Blachowicz. That may totally change the game. Right, right. And it, um, this might be the one card that ruins what I just said, or the one fight that ruins this card being <laughs> the greatest card ever, right? Because Jan may make this a boring fight. You know what I mean? Like he might just take him down and hold him down. And that could kind of ruin the whole chances. But And and outside of that, though, this whole card, I, I can't see that in any other fight on this main card. Like it's just going to be a phenomenal card. So, you know, and, and that's Jan's best idea, right? Like, like it's not like Alex is some little guy, you know, coming up to 205. 
you know, a true 185er. Like he's a true 205er that cut down to 185, I think is more accurate. And so when he comes up and he's not going to lose his power, you know, he's going to still be hitting hard, man. And you make a mistake, like Alex will put you the fuck out. Well, yeah, and listen, I don't, I don't, I don't discount that Jan could win by knockout, though. Too, I mean, look, look at you know, I was actually just thinking about this recently. Remember when Gokan Saki came in the no. UFC, and everyone's like, "Oh my!" Because I watched Gokan a lot in K one. Gokan was a monster, man. That dude was a monster. I loved watching him, and I was super excited to see him make his transition into, into the UFC and MMA. Similar situation as Alex had a few fights, came in. Khalil Roundtree laid him out, like Khalil Roundtree laid him out flat in his second, I think, second UFC fight. Pereira is is a better striker, a better a better striker than Jan Blahovich. He's a world class kickboxer. Doesn't mean you can't get clipped on the chin and get knocked the fuck out. Like that's just the reality. Like Jan Blahovich hits really really hard, and like I said, like Luke Rockhold has a really good kicking game, solid striking, and he laid him out, broke his jaw. I mean, there's no guarantee that like even if it's a stand up fight. That, that he can't catch and finish Alex Pereira. Like, Alex has Alex has one great chance to win this fight, and that's if it just stays standing and he's able to impl- implement his will in a striking fight. Outside of yeah. that, you know, Alex, excuse me, Jan can knock him out on the feet, can catch him, can out-grapple him, out-wrestle him, maybe submit him. I mean, we don't know what kind of jiu-jitsu game he has. Like, the, yeah. Jan just has more ways to win this fight. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to find out a lot about Alex in this fight, right? Like, that's, I guess that's kind of why the fight was made. But, um, boy, if he uh, goes out and, and proves us wrong, it's going to be gigantic for him, bro. He's going to blow the fuck up, man. And he'll probably be fighting for the light heavyweight title next. So uh, I'm pretty excited to see this fight, man. I think it's, it could be a really great fight. And it's not like Jan Blo is just an easy guy to knock out. Not like he's a chinny guy or anything. Like, he's a solid as fuck, man. He can take a shot. So you know, this is going to be potentially a great fight. But, you know, if, if I'm Jan's coach, I'm like, bro, don't throw a punch. <laughs> Grab that fucker's legs, put him on his back, and, you know, let, let's go eat, eat some pizza and drink some beer after, man. This is you know, like, do you want to go to the hospital after or the bar, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go out there and uh, blast double and spend your time on the ground. Yeah, bro. Like, like I said, you like, like what you know? What do you want to do? You want to walk to the plane tomorrow? Or you want to be on a wheelchair? You know, <laughs> you know, even with the wind, like you might be on a wheelchair. You might be, you know, in the hospital with the wind. So you know, go out there and let's make this an easy night. And um, you know, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Like Alex ain't no joke, you know. And and he's one of those guys. I feel like never trained with him or anything, but I get the feeling like he picks things up really quickly. You know, because he has a very awkward style on the way he does things. And I bet, he, you know, he kind of does it his way. But I bet he just picks things up really quickly. And I've always kind of felt like he's got the kind of natural body <laughs> athleticism, like for groundwork. You know, like like if he yeah. would have started doing jiu-jitsu younger, he would probably have been, you know, world champion. So um, I think he could also – there's a very good possibility he surprises the shit out of us in this. Well, don't forget, Alex Pereira brought in the secret weapon. He worked with Dylan Danis for this camp. And I tell you what, man, the, the secret weapon that is Dylan Danis, the guy who trains and never fights, but he's – I'm totally joking if you couldn't tell right now about that one. Uh, he did train with Dylan Danis. That is real. I don't know how much that's really going to benefit him in this fight, but he did train with Dylan Danis. As, as, as goofy, uh, much of a goofball as Dylan Danis is, as much shit as he takes, like he is a good jiu-jitsu guy. Oh, he is. No, he's legitimately a good jiu-jitsu guy. He just doesn't do anything anymore. Like that's the, yeah. he just, he doesn't actually compete. Yeah. I mean, he, his, his mind, I don't know what the hell's wrong with his mind. I watched his interview on, uh, with, with, the uh, one guy, Ara Hawani. And, uh, I was like, my God, bro. Like, I mean, he says these things on Twitter and stuff, just like, like knowing like he's going to take all this shit. And it's like, it's like, why do you want to go around? Like, why do you want this to be your brand, bro? Like, I don't get it, man. Like he kind of embraces, you know, everybody talking shit to him and him just acting like a a fucking idiot and stuff, man. I just, I don't get it. So, but, but he is a legitimate black belt and a good jujitsu guy. So um, I think it's a good thing that Alex is working with him. Yeah, he's legitimately good as a grappler. Um, but yeah, I don't know what else he is these days. Uh, 
Certainly doesn't seem to be doing much else. I can tell you. I asked I asked Gary Tonum about it before Gary had his fight last week, and Gary just shook his head and he's just like, "I don't want to talk about that guy." <laughs> he's just because Gary Gary obviously beat him in jujitsu, and he's just like, "Uh," like you just hear the groan in, in Gary's voice. He's just like, "Uh." So well, that's it. like again, I don't know why Dylan does that to himself. It's like he has the talent to go out there and you know actually fight and be a name and do some good things and. Like he just destroys his own brand himself. I, there's, I, I don't get it, man. Somebody explain this to me. Yeah, I don't know. I, somebody's gonna explain to me how he makes a living. That's what I want to know. Like, is he teaching? Because he ain't fighting. He ain't competing. He doesn't compete anymore. So, like, what are you doing to make money? Are you just like an influencer now? Is that what you're doing? Like, you're going like the old Jake Paul route. Like, what's going on here? Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, it's so because like I remember when he used to train with when he first started training with Connor, and then he tra- he transitioned. He, he fought in Bellator, and I was like, okay, he's gonna make like a career now. And then he just stopped fighting. Like, he just disappeared. Now all he does is talk shit on Twitter. Yeah, I think he won the lottery or something, bro. He's just like, fuck. I'm going to stupid shit for the rest of my life. I guess. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Matt, what else you got coming up? As we said, we're not going to be on the air next week, so we're going to be off for a week. We'll return after UFC 291. So what do you got coming up in the next couple of weeks? I'm just going to get back to training, man. Um, just got back from Gatlinburg, working on one of my Airbnbs. Got it all uh, stitched up, man, running uh, the way it should have been running the whole time. Um might fly down to Texas to one of my other ones here in the next couple of weeks and uh, button it up a little bit. But, um, you know, mainly just getting back to training. Got some guys competing pretty soon. I'm going to be helping these guys out. And, uh, but mainly, you know, just getting back in the gym more. Uh, summer's coming to an end. Like I said, kids are going back to school. So, you know, that allows me a lot more time to be in the gym and push myself a little bit harder. And I will start testing out these injuries and stuff that I can hopefully get back into camp, man. And, um, you know, maybe get one in by the end of the year, hopefully. Mark Coleman's got a boxing match in October. Is that oh yeah. It? Mark, Mark's boxing in October. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, he's been coming in gym training, getting ready. And I'll tell you what, I sparred with him the other day. I put it on Instagram and like, you can see where he, like he hit me, you know, and it kind of surprised me, you know, I, I just wasn't expecting him to, uh, throw what you know he's a lot longer than he feels like but anyway dude, we were not throwing hard at all and it fucking hurt bro <laughs> like dude his punch like i'm not sure if i've ever been punched that hard before <laughs> and i mean he wasn't putting much into it you know like he really wasn't trying like he might have the most power of anybody i've ever felt and i say so like, I've, I've sparred with big heavyweights you know i've sparred with powerful guys and I'm not sure. Like, I, I was sitting there thinking about it. I was like, dude, have I ever been hit by somebody that hard that wasn't trying to throw hard? Like, it, it felt like, you know, somebody trying to knock me out. And I, I rewatched the video. I was like, dude, was he, like, swinging hard or something? Was I just <laughs> not paying? No. Yeah. He, he was going easy. And, like, it is very fucking shocking, that guy's power. Imagine being underneath that dude and him dropping ground and pound. No wonder he's the godfather of ground and pound. Imagine taking punches on the ground from that dude. That's the last place you'd want to be. Dude, I don't know how anybody ever did it. He's a gorilla, man. He's just a gorilla, man. Just a huge monster dude who could just throw hands. I've said, dude, if he would have lived his life right, he would have lived to be 150, no doubt about it. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing, man, that he's been through what he's been through. And he's still back in the gym, energetic, getting strong, getting into shape, and um, you know, just a just a freak of nature, man. That's about all you can say. He's just a goddamn freak of nature. There was a clash of heads in a UFC fight a couple of weeks ago, and somebody tweeted at me, and they said, "If they still allowed headbutts in the UFC, Mark Coleman would still be the heavyweight champion right now. <laughs> if they still if they still allowed headbutts on the ground, Mark Coleman would still be heavyweight champion right now." I actually agree with that, <laughs> except. <laughs> Randy Couture, though. Yeah. yeah. That would have been his arch. Randy Couture and Brock Lesnar. That would have been his arch nemesis. It would have been between those three. Because Brock with headbutts, that, yeah. that's a tough overcome, too, though. Dude, I remember watching the old Coleman videos, dude, and he used to just, he would, I mean, he would slam his head down into people. Dude, and it looked so painful. Like, because he only had like three inches to work, but man, he was. Throw that head and God, it's the worst. Like, I've been headbutted before. Oh, yeah, I have. It sucks real bad. It sucks real oh bad. Yeah, yeah, it sucks real bad. 
yeah, if they hit with the right spot on their head, it doesn't even hurt them either. And it can – yeah, it sucks, bro. <laughs> like, it's worse than getting punched for sure. I think yeah. an elbow is, like, the only thing that could compare to it. Yeah, imagine, and also like when you're headbutting, you're not necessarily headbutting in the forehead. Like they're headbutting you in the in the nose and the mouth. Like that's the yeah. last thing you want, dude. I just when I watch those old videos with Coleman, I'm like, my god, that looks like the worst place to be in the world. <laughs> I'm, I can't imagine. I, I I'm not coming up with any other worse places. <sighs> Dude, that's that's so crazy. So yeah, well, we'll be back uh, after two ninety one to catch up. Obviously, uh, check out all of Matt's. Uh, you're on social media everywhere at I am the Immortal everywhere, and uh, you got the uh, the uh, the Immortal Coffee dot com as well. So people can pick up their coffee and support Matt Brown that way, and get jazzed up on some caffeine to watch some fights. Yeah, that's exactly it, man. At the Immortal Coffee dot com or the Immortal Coffee dot com. Yeah, so. Check it out, man. Let's go. And go. I'm going to be working on these uh, online courses very soon, man. I've been working on them over the summer. I'm going to start putting a lot more energy before um, I really get hard into a camp. And I'm going to start getting some education out there for everyone, man. Love it. Love it. Show support to, to the guys who uh, support us. So we appreciate it. Uh, obviously, as always, we appreciate everyone that tunes in to the show each and every week. We'll be back in two weeks' time. As I said, post-fight UFC 291. We'll talk about Gaethje, Apore, and what actually happened. We'll talk about Blahovich and Pereira, as well as all the other fights. As Matt said, incredible, incredible card. Top to bottom. Cannot wait for that one from Utah. So we'll be back after that. Appreciate everyone tuning in. We're obviously all always available on all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. For Matt Brown, I'm Damon Martin. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of The Fighter vs. The Writer. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.